Well, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to episode number 74, Starting the Conversation. Uh, I'm your host, Alice Benham, here with this week's co-host, Aaron. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Really excited to be on it. Are you really excited? Yeah, I'm nervous. A bit nervous? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Awesome. So we're going to start today's conversation by talking about one of the most recent conversations that I had on the podcast where I talked with Anna who runs a business, an amazing business called Cake Drop. Um, and we were having a conversation about like personal brands versus business brands. And I feel like this is probably such an interesting topic for us to touch on because of what you do and mm-hmm. kind of your involvement with helping people to build brands. Yeah. So maybe first give a quick introduction to like what you actually do for context and then like what are your thoughts on the whole it's 2019, you can't build a business unless you've got a personal brand and how actually there's probably a bit more to be said yeah. than just that. Yeah. Go for it. So, yeah, my name is Aaron Spencer-Higgins. I run a social media agency or a marketing agency called Social Buff with my business partner, William. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do is that we design, create and execute on marketing campaigns that are purely social first. Um, so we essentially leverage what is what we think is underpriced attention, um, uh, and then we create content and amplify great brands and great wow. ideas. There were so many buzzwords in that introduction. I, I know. I tried, to, I tried to fit as many as I could. You were like, how oh, many can I hit yeah. to make myself sound like a <laughs> How cool can I make myself sound in the quickest time possible? So then obviously like your role within Social Buff, which we'll get onto in today's conversation starter, is partly like helping businesses to build brands, right? Yeah, exactly. And looking at their branding. So when we can acknowledge that there is that conversation out there of like, it's 2019, you need a personal brand when there's no point building one. Thoughts on that? I mean, I'm gonna give the worst possible answer, which, you know, it depends. Mm. A lot of businesses survive on personal brands and need personal brands to grow. Um, but a lot of the time, it's simply just not necessary. Mm. Um, so that's a very like, it's not just not necessary, but it's just not the right fit. Exactly, exactly. And I think there's a, something really interesting that Anna said in the episode is that there's a difference between personal and personable. Mm. And I think, yes, building a personal brand is really effective because at its core, it's all about connection and it's really easy for yeah. users and followers to connect with. But I think you can still build that. Mm. You just, it just takes a bit more attention because you've got to build personality around a brand rather than around yeah. a person. So it doesn't naturally exist. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But at the same time, I mean, I convince a lot of people that I work with to build personal brands as well. So when I work with the likes of, of dentists and doctors, um, they usually say, oh yes, I would like to promote my practice. And I, and I always say to them, well, you know, when you're investing in something as fundamental to your well-being, like health, or you know, if you're going to get a smile makeover, um, they want to get to know a person. They want to trust a person yeah. because at the end of the day, uh, business. You know, I, I don't really believe in the concept of B to C and B to B. I believe in the concept of B to P. So doing business, business. to people. Exactly. Smash that. That's so true. Though. And I think particularly with services or products where it's not like I think these days we've moved we're moving away from the culture of like you have a solution mm-hmm. I have a need great I'm gonna buy that and that's it yeah. I feel like the way that we consume is changing people are so much more focused on relationship and they care about who they buy from particularly when they're making big investments you know there's 10 different places that you could get the same thing 10 years ago that wasn't the case now that it is the case almost the thing that makes you stand out and the thing that helps you exactly. make that sale outside of the thing that you offer is often the brand. Exactly. And when it's personal, like you said, it builds a lot of that connection in quite an easy way. Exactly, like I've built two agencies already. Um, and when I built my search engine optimization agency, Ranking Solutions, almost eight years ago now, um, I survived on business branding and I really, really struggled. Whereas when I switched to the personal branding method, I found it a lot easier. Mm. Um, I, as a social media agency or as a marketing agency, we live in a heavily commoditized space. So we're always trying to figure Explain out. Explain commoditized. So essentially means that you know it's almost like homogenous. Everyone does the same thing. Yeah. Um, everyone claims to do the same thing, and, and, and on the surface, we're all offering the same services, even though we we always approach uh, each campaign in a very unique way uh, to. Uh, 
well, consumer facing. I hate to use the word consumer now, but I'm sort of completely like, I'm kind of backtracking now, but from a consumer standpoint, when we look at the services that we offer as an agency, it looks like everyone offers the same service. Mm. So what I'm trying to do is, and what Will and I really try to do is we try to differentiate ourselves by trying to build a relationship with as many people as we possibly can. Mm. And that's why we've built personal brands and that's why we're really trying to amplify our personality. Mm. And that's what really has grown our business. Yeah. Um, because you know, half the time when I talk to clients, they say my agency is called Social Bluff um, because they don't know the agency that they called Social Bluff. Because <laughs> they know you. Um, yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh yeah, what's the name of your company again? Like, the, yeah, and it's, and it's so shocking. Like the only time sometimes people see, like a lot of my clients, all they see is the company on the invoice. Yeah. And that's probably the only touch point they get with Social Bluff because um, they're, they're almost funneled in to to social buff through my personal brand and the whole fulfillment mm. side happens through Aaron Spencer. Yeah. And that actually has a lot of cons because it has caused a lot of complexities in a team environment. So mm -hmm. when we're trying to fulfill a campaign as a team, as a collective. And their, their sole experience up until that point is with you as a personal brand. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's actually really tough to almost delegate or hand off clients to, to members of my team who I think can, you know, absolutely exceed expectations. But to the client, they've booked you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, I think many businesses are facing that right now. We've built such prominent personal brands. Mm. And when your personal brand is so much more prominent than your business brand, yeah. you get to the stage where you're like, oh my God, well now because of the business brand equity is so minimal, how can the, almost the transition from someone being, you know, funneled in through your personal brand and being put into, into the business, into the well-oiled machine that you've built, mm. um, there's a lot of struggle. Yeah, I think that's true for personal brands when they're done on their own as well though. Like yeah. there's a scalability challenge when yeah. you've got a personal brand. Big time. Because there's only so much like, there's only so much I can delegate within my business mm -hmm. until I'm in a problem situation mm -hmm. because actually I'm no longer fulfilling the things that need me to fulfill them in order to grow the brand that I'm trying to grow, if that makes exactly. sense. Like there's only so much I can outsource until actually my personal brand isn't really a personal brand because I'm not having all these different touch points with things. Exactly. And I think it's interesting. I think really the conversation is just good to be had because no one talks about the pros and cons of both. Yeah. Everyone just will say, this is the way that you should do it. You know, yeah. everyone with a personal brand is going to say, this is how you should do it. Everyone who's mm -hmm. got business brands is that that's the way you've got to do it. Exactly. I think it's almost just interesting to gain autonomy over like, okay, Neither is perfect, like there's mm -hmm. pros and cons to both, which feels like the best fit. Yeah. And I think something that's really interesting that you talked about there, that I'm definitely seeing a rise in at the moment, is business brands which are actually often complemented by the founders or the entrepreneurs at the head of it, whatever, mm -hmm. also having a personal brand. Yeah. And I feel like that's a really interesting thing, is how do those two interact? How do they almost grow each other? Exactly. And it's quite an interesting mix of the two. It's not so polarizing as like, exactly. I've got a personal brand, I've got a business brand, yeah. brand, brand. But it's kind of yeah. exploring how they can mix, kind of what exactly. you're doing. And how they can interact and then how, and most importantly, what is the consumer or customer experience transitioning from your personal brand to your business brand back to your personal brand? Mm -hmm. And essentially how do you fulfill that and how do you manage that mm. because it's really difficult at times yeah especially when someone only knows me and who doesn't really engage on a uh, on a on a level with social but mm -hmm. how do you get them to engage with that and how can you almost build associations between myself and social buff yeah and then how can i then follow people into social mm -hmm. buff and then scale yeah because the only way that I think I think about scaling is how can I facilitate a smooth transition from, from personal to business. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of what we're working on together, right? Exactly. Like how does how do you bridge the gap between your personal running your business brand so that it, it's playing an effective role in that customer yeah. journey, but the end goal is social buff. Big time. And it's not just a closely yeah. personal side. Big time. Very interesting. Right, let's get to high-low. You were quite intimidated when I told oh you about God, this session. Yeah, I was. I was trying to come up with my high-low. You're like, where am I going up to? I don't know, I don't have a low. Yeah. And I have to start with the low, because mm. it's a bit like, it's a bit, 
It's a bit of an anti-climax. Mm. You talk about your high and then you both talk about your low. It's kind of just mm. a bit of a dead ending. Uh, so we'll start with like low. It could be of the day, it could be of the week, mm -hmm. could be of the month. Mm -hmm. You can get as intense with it as you want. Service <laughs> level, really deep. Yeah. Uh, what's your low? What comes to mind? My the, the immediate one that came that comes to mind is a is a really exciting client that we onboarded. Uh, we went through all the processes. Everything was really really smooth. And then he came back to us and said that he just wasn't happy with the theoretical model that we built, um, that he built on our behalf. Um, what does that even mean? You speak so with words that aren't there. Like, what's a theoretical so model? So it's, it's essentially built, he built out like a, an Excel spreadsheet of, uh, of what his sales process would look like um, theoretically if he implemented a salesperson for £75,000 a year. And right. he said that um, with the model that we built, that it wouldn't be scalable if we had if if he was paying all of the salespeople seventy five thousand pounds a year, right. um, which was not a conversation that we were having, and it was just such a it's it, and, and the reason why it's such a low is because I felt like everything was we were on the same page when it came to everything. Everything mm. was so smooth. You're Everything yeah. was so yeah. in tune, mm. and then for there just to be a sudden complete and utter disconnect between me and my client that yeah. literally happened within a space of a few days, that's really worrying because I always need to be as proactive as I can mm -hmm. um, and to always be on the same page as to where my clients are so I can best fulfill for them. And when my clients come back to me with something that is totally, that's something that I was not expecting, um, I, I blame myself a lot for it. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I feel very, very guilty because I need to be able to to identify these challenges or these obstacles before it even happens, whether that's personal or business related. Um, so I always ha like hold myself. You sound pretty hard on yourself. <laughs> but it's I try to be as hard on myself as I can sometimes because I really want to provide the best service I can possibly I possibly can. Yeah. And that means managing people as well as managing sort of the machine that has been built around them. Yes. Um, and we'll so, get to that in today's yeah. conversation starter. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to kind of explore yeah. further. That was a good low. That was quite a deep low. I feel like my low is quite intense as well. Usually they're quite surface level of like, I had an ice cream once and it was a bit sour. And a bit <laughs> sour. Um, no way. But I was like, again, contemplating what my low was going to be because mm never come up with it on the spot mm. and you know you think of something and then you're like oh my gosh no I'm not going to share that but then mm. you're like the fact that I thought I shouldn't share it is why I should share it um because it's just honest right yeah. things that actually go on in a business so for me like we were talking about this earlier thankfully by the grace of amazing clients and things working out it's not a problem anymore but towards the end of last week I just had this sudden realization of like my cash flow is about to go completely wrong and by wrong mm. I just mean like I was like two weeks out so I was about to have like two weeks where like no money was coming in, everything was at zero, which I should probably get more strategic and make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, but I was basically planning ahead, and then you're ahead, you're like, cool, what do I need to pay for in the next week? What's going out? What's not coming in? And I suddenly had this moment of like, crap, this is a problem. <laughs> um, and thankfully it kind of sorted itself out, but it was definitely, I was like a good three days where I was a bit like, I think there's a problem here. Like. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do if this doesn't, you know? Yeah. You know those moments? And it's not a measure of, like, my business is making enough money. Like, yeah. It is, but you know, like, cash flow is just a, it's a hard one. Yeah. Which I guess we have different situations because you're probably more separate yeah. from your business's finances. But I think because my business's finances and mine are still pretty merged, yeah. it's quite easy to get into a sticky situation where I'm suddenly like, crap, exactly. I haven't planned this ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I need to sort this out. So I'd say that's my life. But yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I just had this moment of like, mm. ah, okay, can we yeah. sort this out? We, we we actually had that at the beginning as well. Mm. We had very similar problems because obviously clients would. It's almost like we we were working on our client schedule as to when they would pay. But yeah. Also, we had you know obligations to pay our team, and then so how do we sort of combine those two, or how do we how do we how do we find the intersection between when's best for our clients and when can we pay our team? Mm. Um, so we just got like credit cards and charge cards and 
um, finally like that's one way of doing it. Yes, yeah, literally one way of doing it. It's funny. It's, it seems like such a simple solution, um, but I just went. I, we just went ahead and did that, and it yeah. helped a lot. It helped a lot. Well, sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do, right? Yeah. I feel like that's when that Don't. like. <laughs> now you're <laughs> God. Um, I feel like that's where that fight or flight mode kicks in when you're a business mm -hmm. owner of like. Like, I, I, look, I think back and I'm like, I probably should have been more worried than I was. But I think there is just this attitude in me of just like, I'm, I trust it's going to work out. Yeah. And that's kind of why I don't always talk about things when they're happening. Because I'm like, I don't know how to explain to other people that things are going really wrong, but I know that in two days time it's going to be fine. Yeah. You know? It's like, I don't have anything tangible to prove that this is going to get better. Yeah. I just trust my business. And I think this is going to work I out. I love that. Yeah. But it's not like, it's never that serious of a problem, right? Yeah, but it, there's that inner like, yeah, yeah it will happen. And also you're still, you, you mean, you know, how old are you, 21? And your business is like a year old? So you're obviously oh, no. a year old, two years I old? I mean, if I'm, if I'm showing off, I can make it up that the coaching business is a year old. Okay. But I've been, I've been running a business since 17, so it's four years. Wow. I just took a break and pivoted. Yeah, but like the fact that you took a break and pivoted means that you essentially reinvented your business. Yeah. So essentially, it's kind of like a business that's zero. So it's, it's totally natural to have those mm. sort of cash flow issues as if um, in like three, four years' time, you'll have like a buffer yeah, to like ensure that, that that doesn't happen. So yeah, like yeah. you're so comfortable mm. that you won't even need to worry about clients, you know, because we've got clients who pay in, on a quarterly basis. So we oh, get wow. huge lump sums on a quarterly basis. Yeah. And initially, when we started out, we were like, oh my God, this is so stressful. Um, but now we're kind of like, no, we're okay. You find your feet with exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's what I find hard about my business is there's not, I, as much as I can, I create rhythm within my business. Yeah. But it's still, like, my cash flow bumps are never because clients don't pay on time. I've never had a late payment. Like, my yeah. clients are the best people in the world. Um, but it's always just like, I think for me, I always run before I can walk, and that's true for my time, that's true for my energy, that's true for my expertise, but also for my money. So I'm always like, my spending is always like one step ahead of my income. Yeah. So I'm always very over ambitious with what I can invest in, which I think is the right end of the spectrum to be on, maybe. Yeah. But then often get in the situation of like, okay, crap, <laughs> I'm like, there's some growing pains here. Yeah. But I do look forward to the day when things feel a bit settled yeah. and consistent. Uh, high of the week of the day. Hi, um, What's going the right? week was when we figured out that this month was our best month yet. Amazing. And, and it's what? We're four days into the month? Yeah, it's been our best month ever and four days into the month, mm. um, which is crazy. Um, Do you know what though? It really does prove, which I feel like I was always just using it as an excuse, but mine so. might have been the same of like, summer just isn't a good time. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's on holiday. Yeah, Everyone's like I'm just saying like four days into September and got more clients booked than I did in the whole of, I think, August and probably July as well. But it's so interesting to actually know that that's true because I feel like it's sometimes just a convenient excuse 100%. when summer's a bit slow. Yeah. I love that though. 100%. Well done. 100%. Big month for social bug. Yeah. Uh, my high, I'd say it's quite a big high. Uh, I didn't die last week. Donate both marrow. So I'm still here. Claps yeah. for me. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, had a great time, had some days off, had some free food, Amazing. sat in the hospital bed for a few hours, made some Instagram stories, and I'm still alive. Not that there's any risk of death, by the way. <laughs> I made it out that I was like, life threatening. It wasn't. But I'm just a high as it then is done. I've yeah. done that. Hopefully save someone's life, and now I can continue my life. Amazing. So yeah, I didn't mean to trump your high there, but say <laughs> my biggest month in business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, awesome. <laughs> Alright, so this week's conversation starter, which I'm really excited to get into because I think it highlights the differences in our mm -hmm. businesses and our approaches, and it's hopefully going to be an interesting conversation for a lot of people listening because actually what the structure of your business I find quite interesting mm -hmm. and your experience of that, I think there's a lot to be said about that. Um, so this week's conversation starter is the reality of growing a team and having, mm -hmm. like being a manager within mm -hmm. your business. So for context for people, you have a team of seven, right? Including exactly. yourself. Four of those people are full-time salaried. Time. So you have like, you have, like that's a team. Exactly. You're a business. Yeah. Whereas I have... I wouldn't say I'm like a step behind that because I don't think that's where I'm heading towards, but it's a different, just a different way of doing things. I'm obviously solo business, me on my own, and then have 
Um, Emily, who's like a few probably days a week freelancer and then random other freelancers that I'll use yeah. um, for other bits of work. So I'm really interested into your experience of transitioning into where you are now, mm -hmm. of having a team and what that's looked like. When you started Social Buff, it was just you on your own, right? Exactly. Yeah, it was just me on my own. Um, and then we got, I, it's funny, I was actually connected through a mentor of mine, uh, shout out to Aaron Branch. Uh, I was connected to uh, a guy called William Ferrer. Um, and he, funny enough, so we each had our own individual teams, and we still kind of do today, uh, of, a, of a network of sort of freelancers that can fulfill and help us support everything that we're doing. Um, and to be honest with you, our transition from freelancer to full-time employees has been really smooth because the freelancers just essentially went, listen, we really love working with you, and we go, yes, we, we have enough work to completely mm. book you out solid, um, completely full-time, and it was just almost like a seamless transition. So the next day when they went from freelancer to payroll employee, it, it was so smooth, it just didn't feel any different other than the fact mm. that they could give us more time, So which was such an amazing luxury to have. Mm. Did that transition intimidate you? Because it's a big responsibility, mm. like hiring someone, mm. committing to paying other people's bills. Mm. How have you found that? So it was so intimidating the moment I said it, and it was scary. Mm -hmm. And then next day, it just didn't feel any different. Mm -hmm. And I knew that from the moment it happened, from there on, I, it was just, it, it was the most perfect thing for our business mm. um, because I saw immediately how much more time I could get from them um, and then what they can fulfill within that time. So to be honest with you, it's been an absolutely, it was a fantastic business decision looking back on it, but it was that risk. So it was sort of like you're flicking the light switch and you're seeing, oh, is it going to be too bright? Yeah. But you flicked it on and it was like, no, everything is perfect. Yeah. So there was sort of like a, a moment, there was like a moment of, oh my God, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. um, but then as soon as it happened, uh, it was just like a seamless, smooth transition. And it was a, it was, it was a great decision because mm. we need them. Yeah. And like you said, I think, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, if this isn't true for you, but it's definitely true for me, that bringing other people on board in your business is never going to 100% feel like it's the next step to make right now. I think often it's like you kind of want to do it. It's maybe mildly financially risky, or it yeah. doesn't fit. Maybe it feels like something for six months rather than for now. Yeah. But then the second that you do it, it you you know that it's the perfect fit because it then releases up your time to do all these Big other time. things and the capacity of your business is better. Like I don't feel like it's ever like oh great everything's lined up. I've got all the budget. I've got you know ideally you've got most of those things in place. But I think it always feels like a bit of a leap, right? Exactly. Would yeah. that be true for you? 100%, 100%. But as soon as that happened, it was amazing because it freed up our time as business owners and it allowed us to focus on opportunities and new business uh, and sort of top line strategy mm. rather than delving into the micro of fulfillment mm. because we were caught in a catch 22. We were trying to grow our business, but we couldn't grow our business because we didn't have enough time. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. Like, you, I think you bottleneck your own time exactly. before it feels like taking on team is the right next yeah. step but you never get out of that bottleneck until you take that exactly. next step and I felt like at the time before we actually hired hired our two employees that, that, that we have right now um, I felt like oh no it's kind of okay because I'm still spending 30% of my time on you know new business so everything is fine but mm. once we implemented the team and implemented all the systems and processes it just made our lives so much easier to the point where we could then spend like 80 to 90% of our time on new business. Mm. And then focus on the 20% of the time is not the micro fulfillment, but rather the top line of how we should structure things yeah. and the strategy involved um, and making sure everything runs smoothly. So mm. I think there was like a bit of a learning curve at, at, at the start uh, and hats off to Will because he really did implement systems and processes into the team to make to make it run like a well-oiled machine 
Um, and he did that from day one, literally, as soon as everyone was onboarded. So we've got such a clear and concise structure of how we run the business that everyone's deliverables are so clear. You know, we start off the week with, a, with a, a very short, clear call about what we need to get done, uh, what are the obstacles that we're facing and how we can help and how we can work together, um, and then implement all these into, into our tools like Asana and Slack. Um, and it just, it just works so well. So now we can feed the machine rather than work within the machine, if that makes sense. Yes, you're more working on the business than you are in. Exactly. And there's been that transition. Yeah. Okay, something that I'm interested in, because it's definitely a difference in our roles within our businesses, mm -hmm. is how you've gone from, yes, you're no longer spending the time working in the business and you don't fulfill a lot of stuff now, mm -hmm. but it would be true to say probably some of that time has now been taken up with managing this team, right? Mm -hmm. And I would say with where I'm at and kind of what I've got in terms of a team, like very little time of mine is spent managing. Mm -hmm. I can keep on top of what Emily's up to very easily via WhatsApp, like she's the most on it person. I almost don't have to manage her. It's just nice and easy. Whereas from what we were kind of speaking about before recording this episode, like it's a, it's a, almost a full-time job, like managing that team of people. So how have you found that, like almost... Yes, you want to take on team, but you probably didn't want to choose to be a manager. What's that yeah. look like for you? I mean, that sort of came from choosing the person, choosing the right person for the business. And mm -hmm. I knew from the beginning that I didn't need to micromanage them. Mm -hmm. um, they're very much, they have, a, they have very much an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, so they didn't require or need any micromanaging. Um, and in terms of, you know, <laughs> in terms of, in terms of managing them, we don't really do much of that because they really don't need it. Yeah. Um, we focus on top line things and when there's obstacles or when there's issues, then we can jump in and, and coordinate uh, a response. Um, but they're already coordinating responses while we're right coordinating. Corporate. Yeah, it sounds, it's, it's, it sounds so corporate, right? But it's just so true. Like as, as, as soon as a, an issue or an obstacle rises or a mm. bit of a challenge, everyone's already coordinating what they need to do in order to try mm. to solve that challenge before we before we even yeah. coordinate a response collectively. So you're not having, like, it when you choose the right team, your role isn't to babysit, your role isn't almost to exactly. troubleshoot, you're there if that's needed for the 10% of the time when maybe they can't figure it out, exactly. but you set your team up in a way where they're managing themselves, they know what their expectations are and they know the process, but if something goes wrong, they're not constantly ringing your phone. And Big time, and they have that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. So it means that you know when they see a challenge, they run straight at it um, and they try and solve it rather than running away from the problem. Yeah, uh, we're saying, oh, you know, what do we do? It's a, it's a collective team response. Mm. Um, so um, we're, we're really, really lucky not to have to be managing them too much. Yeah, and I think there's something in that I found really interesting with, like, bringing on people who are working within my business on a more permanent basis. Is that actually what you're looking for? Like I said when I was hiring, say, for any role, um, I'm, I always said I'm hiring character, not skill. Like everything you're going to do, I can teach you. Mm -hmm. But what was so important to me is that that person was going to treat that job exactly like I would treat it. And mm -hmm. they're almost as much, you know, no, no one's going to love your business as much as you. No one's going to care as much as you do. But you almost need to hire someone who's like 90% as in love with what you're doing and as for the mission that you're on yeah. as you are. Because that's the, like that's that entrepreneurial spirit, right? Big time. Big time. So we want them to buy into the vision, and we were very much we like we sold both Raúl and Sarah on the vision of where we wanted to take this business in the long run, mm -hmm. rather than oh yeah, this is how much you're going to make and this is what you're going to do. Yeah, you're doing. Like a job. it was very much like this is the vision. This is what we this is what we perceive social Club to be in five years. Mm -hmm. Do you want in? And they were like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so when you buy, when you get, when you hire people based on character, not skill, and when you get people to buy into your vision. Uh, as in, what is your business going to look like five years from now? Mm. Then, then, then you created the perfect team, or you created the perfect hire, or you what? Mm. Perfect, interesting word. Because <laughs> what you were talking to me about before we hit record, and we were kind of discussing this episode, um, is you almost you like you talk about your the structure of is almost like an engine, mm -hmm. and you were saying that there's there's times where there's toxic toxicity. Mm -hmm. is that word toxic, yeah. Yeah. stuff going on, it is of a negative nature within that engine and 
often then when you have team involved, that's amplified because everyone's got their stuff, right? Mm. People have got their issues. People have got stuff going on. Talk to me about that. Like that, I guess, is a, not a negative side of having a team, but a challenge Big where team. you're no longer just responsible for making sure that you're all good and that you're not the one making anything bad go on. How's that been? Yeah, big time. I mean, when you you know when you have an engine and when you've got multiple different team members and multiple different inputs, there's always going to be a level of toxins coming from each and every direction. Whether it's from uh, personal problems that people are facing, um, you know, they have an argument with their boyfriend or girlfriend, or whether they um, uh, or whether a client is being really difficult on something or has an issue or has or, or has an obstacle. Um, we always, that always gets inputted into, into the business, into the machine, mm. um, and that's sort of the major challenge uh, that we have as a team or as a machine. Um, and so our job as business owners is, is how can we, how can we firstly identify where those toxins are coming from and then try to solve it piece by piece? Mm. Um, because when you've got toxicity coming from now, now I can't even say the word. <laughs> when you've got toxins, <laughs> when you've got toxins going from um, you know personal issues that people may have, when your clients, um, something wrong within the team dynamic, uh, you know issues that I have, so on and so forth, and they all they all collectively form into this one big issue mm. that can hold the engine back or hold the team back. And it so. escalates, right? Exactly. That's kind of what, like, when you were first talking to me about this earlier and using that word, like, toxins, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what a dramatic word. <laughs> but then when you think about it, it's completely that. It's these tiny things that when they're left mm. or ignored or not acknowledged or dealt with, they fester and they grow and they become a huge problem. Exactly. So I guess then, I mean, I'm sure there's so many different ways you respond to that because I'm sure sometimes it is just like, okay, they're just having a bad day, mm. but now I'm aware of that, so we can understand where that's coming from, but maybe it's like, oh, okay, we need to yeah. do something here. Yeah. And I want to touch on that, like I was saying, we, because you have a co-founder, mm -hmm. you and Will run this business together, mm -hmm. and I think that's a really interesting, like I'm fascinated by people who are in co-founder relationships, because mm -hmm. I think it's something that probably not, not everyone can do, mm -hmm. but I feel like there's so many benefits to it, to yeah, having exactly. that partnership. So in terms of like managing the team, that must make life, I don't want to say easier, mm -hmm. but you have another person to bounce ideas off of, to discuss with it. It probably doesn't feel as isolating, would that be true to say? Yeah, big time. Um, I think that the fact that, I mean, yeah, I mean, being a business owner is really, really lonely and really, really isolating. And when you've got issues and toxins running into your machine from every different angle, those all formulate into this one big toxic engine. And that can be very overwhelming, especially when you're alone. So um, the first thing that I say to people is, is that whether you're starting at zero or starting at 10 million a month, uh, always find a co-founder. Because unless you can feel no emotion, which to be honest with you, some people can't feel emotion, right? That's just, that is a reality. Um, and if you're one of those people, then you're one of those lucky few in a business sense, right? Maybe not in a personal sense, yeah, but that's a different story. Yeah, they can't be a story. joy to be around. <laughs> I don't think I know anyone that has no emotion. I'm not sure I buy into that. They, they exist, right? Um, and, you know, if, if, if you, but if you feel emotion, you know, if you feel sad, happy, uh, down, anxious, uh, so on and so forth, you, all the toxins that run into your business on a daily basis need to be managed mm. uh, and need to be broken down. And doing that alone can feel very, very overwhelming, especially when you're, when you're managing a team. So when you're managing client expectations, uh, employee expectations, team expectations, or everything in between, having a co-founder to just share the burden alone. Yeah. Uh, What's like you say, so, right? Like a problem shared is a problem halved. Exactly. And I guess it's just that naturally for everything. Big time. You know, in order to be successful as co-founders, you've got to share everything. Exactly. And the load. Yeah. The load's lighter. It's, it's no easier, I'm sure, but there are, it, it helps. Yeah. And also having another perspective is so important. Mm. Because you're not in your own head all the time. Exactly. Because, you know, when you're looking at a machine and you've got all, this to all these toxins going into the machine, you know, I can have one view about trying to, work, trying to identify where all, the, all of the toxins are coming from is 
is like one of the biggest challenges, right? Mm -hmm. So when you've got uh, a co-founder to bounce ideas off or bounce or try to figure out where those, where those issues or where those toxins are coming from uh, is really, really important because getting another perspective on things is, is just paramount to making sure that your operation runs really well. Yeah, which I think probably in solo businesses like mine, because it would, you know, the way that my business is currently growing, a co-founder would never work because my business is me, right? Mm. That wouldn't make sense. Um, but I think often there's like, I notice other ways that people look for that insight, support, accountability, second set of eyes, you know, people will hire a coach mm. or they'll get a mentor mm. or they'll have like, even for me with Emily, like in some ways, I probably sometimes treat her like someone would treat a co-founder mm. in that like, if I'm really struggling with a decision, I don't outsource that to her, mm. but I wouldn't be afraid to use her as a sounding board yeah. or get that insight. And I think it's in whatever way that looks best for you, because the reality is like having a co-founder isn't for everyone. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear from someone in that position, like what the benefits have been. Yeah. To finish this conversation starter then, best and worst thing about having a team and then also best and worst thing about having a co-founder. So let's wow. start with team and I, I'll join in even though my team's not really on the same scale as yours, but best and worst thing about having a team. About my team or having a team in general? Uh, I mean, if you want to out your team, feel free. <laughs> whichever, whichever. I mean, I mean... Let's go, like, of having a team, of growing a team. Okay, well, if, if you've got a great team, um, it can make your business run like a well-oiled machine to the point where you can aggressively scale and grow mm -hmm. um, and not have to worry that much about the fulfillment of clients. Mm -hmm. um, so happy clients means happy employees, happy employees. Happy employees mean happy clients. Yeah. Um, so it just so amplifies the business, really. Exactly, and helps you scale and, and, and helps you grow to to new levels. Okay. Um, so so having a team is absolutely amazing. Worst um, thing. What is it's probably the cost? It's yeah. Very, it's very expensive, especially when you're thinking about all the hidden costs of having employees, whether it's office space or pensions or taxes or whatever else. Um, it's employees at the end of the day or team members are really expensive especially when they're full-time mm. um, and you need to figure out well you need to ensure that your business can afford to pay for the team uh, and have a buffer there so that if you have a bad month you need to make sure that your team is the money for the team is there uh, yeah always there. yeah it's true as saying even with me being at the start like just take a risk and get a team <laughs> like, you are like that that has been a shock for me of like i've always got the money there like i said i've just i've mm. got like a bank account which I don't even think is my money that's not that's not mine that goes to team mm. but it's that mental almost strain of like oh my gosh like I'm responsible for obviously I'm not responsible for the whole of anyone's life but I'm like an element of your life is funded by my ability to make this business a success and in a way that is the biggest motivation but on a bad day that's like the easiest thing to make the spiral so totally get that best thing about having a team that I feel like I couldn't I don't know if I could say the best because it's been so many different things kind of at once but something that I've not noticed until recently is how much I have a better work life not going to say balance um I have more time off now that I have Emily and I didn't realize that till the other day when I saw an old friend and they were like I was like oh yeah I, I don't ever work on a Saturday and I'm kind of you know I'm working like 10 hour days but I'm not working like 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. and they're like well you know like you remember like when I saw you last that was your reality it was like seven days a week and it was full days and it kind of dawned on me I was like oh yeah of course if I'm paying someone else two days a week that's two days a week of work like I'm not having to do anymore Good and of time. course I filled a lot of that time with being able to do more client work or being able to work on the business more but it's been like a blessing in disguise that I don't think I've really understood yet of like just having a slightly better lifestyle which is good love it no burnout uh worst thing about having a team i i wouldn't i don't want to be boring and copy yours but i think like that's kind of it yeah. um no do you know what i feel like it's been it's just it's another job to do well right yeah. i know that i'm a good business owner i know that i'm a good coach i don't know that i'm a good employee boss whatever yeah. i am you know what I mean? Mm. I'm like, it's just another thing to not feel like I'm doing very yeah. well at. It's just another hat to wear. But yeah. it's a good challenge. It's nice to be doing something different. But sometimes I'm like, oh, can I just 
Time. And I just not feel like I'm not doing that. Like I don't have a pressure to do another job. But it, I don't feel like a manager because, like I said, the way that my team is structured and how great my team is, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, all right, final one then. Best and worst thing about having a co-founder. Wow. You kind of touched on the best, but what would be your like top line best? Yeah, the top line best is. Oh, that's a really, really good question. I think the best thing about having a co-founder is that you get to share the burden uh, of, of, of issues and obstacles um, and it basically helps you grow the business faster. Um, that, that's your that answer for everything. Yeah, it's What's the pro? Uh, I can grow faster. Literally. I wonder what your pro is. <laughs> is it growing fast? Yeah, you get to grow fast but also you get to share the obstacles. So there's two things. Okay, um, share load. I like that. Worst thing? Oh, the worst thing. We is, did say to Will we were going to out him, so. Oh my god. Um, gosh, that's a really. Cause it's funny because I actually can't fault him um, as an individual or as a founder. Um, so good, though. But yeah, it's, it is really good. I'm surprised. Um, but, <laughs> but in general, I find that um, having a co founder means that you have to manage uh, a, a relationship, right? Mm. And. You need to manage that relationship really well uh, and you can't take it for granted and mm -hmm. i see a lot of business relationships where it's very toxic so you know going back to our toxic machine um sometimes the relationship between business owners or that pull between business owners of where they want to take the company or what they want to do or what they want to decide um can essentially be the business's downfall um, so managing that relationship uh, can be difficult at times. Um, not in my case, but in general. It's just um, a, it's a kind of saying what I said, I guess as well. Like it's just another thing, yeah, right? Exactly. Like yes, having a co-founder, having a team, it frees you up in so many ways. Mm -hmm. But as with anything in business, the more you add to it, the more that as the person at the top of the business, you are then thinking about it, responsible for it, having to manage. Big time. Very interesting. I feel like this is, I found this um, conversation started fascinating. Yeah, because I, th I think like long, long term, I would want to have like a few team members full time. But I just, like even the way you're like, yeah, it's just a seamless transition. I'm like, there's so much in that that I would be like, that's a huge thing. Mm. But maybe it is one of those things that, you know, once, if, if me a year ago could think that now I have some kind of part-time team members, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's such a huge leap. But I think it is one of those things that once you do it, see the benefit, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. that makes sense. That was the right decision. Because right now it makes total 100% sense. But, mm. but at the time, it's like, oh my God, this is such a pivotal, like even my mum was saying it like, oh my God, you're about to hire like full-time team members. That's a lot of responsibility. And now I look back on it and I go, yeah, but it was just so worth it. It just felt right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. None of the best decisions where yeah. you look back and just think, like when you look at your year or your quarter and you go, what was the, what grew me this year? Mm. I think when you can pinpoint those, I'd say probably for both of us, I'm going to assume here, having team in whatever capacity mm. has probably been those moments. Yeah. And having to co-found a few. Love time. that. All right. Ready to take it to the surface level with some quick fire questions? Absolutely. Just change the tone yeah, completely. Yeah, 100%. Love this. Are you still feeling nervous or yeah. good? <laughs> questions never end up that quick fire so we'll just see how we go okay um first question i picked this one because i just feel like it's probably going to be an issue for you to answer this oh no thanks <laughs> would you rather have free wi-fi wherever you go or have free coffee wherever you go oh my god yeah wow every time i've seen you you've always had a coffee yeah, so coffee and Wi-Fi are like my two addictions. Um, I would say free coffee wherever I go. Interesting, okay. In terms of like what I spend money on, okay. I think Starbucks gets the majority of my money. So in terms of like, I always think about this a lot actually, I think like what, what do I spend my money on and what businesses are they? And if I sort of calculate it, and I kind of, I didn't actually calculate it, but I, was, I always think about this. Like, yeah. Like, so at one point it was Starbucks and Erlingus. Um This year it's British Airways and Starbucks. Which, so, for context, you fly to Ireland a lot. Exactly. 
reasons why the airlines are your top ones there. Big time. Okay, yeah. mine would be an easy answer. I'd go for free Wi-Fi. No way. I only re- like the last time I had coffee beside today is when I last saw you like two weeks ago. Oh my god! It's just if someone else is like, "Do you want coffee?" I'm like, "Yeah, I have an espresso to keep <laughs> going." But I'm never like I can't. I've never been like, "Oh my gosh, I need coffee." Oh no, I have. Yeah, I but need coffee all the time. I'm, I'm, I I want to keep this short, sweet, but. It freaks me out, the thought of being dependent. Like, when people are literally like, mm. I can't function without coffee. Like, no judgment intended. I just feel like that's, it's not a way I want to live my life. Most people are like, oh, I can't function without Wi-Fi. Whereas like, I can function when I can like, run my business One of those is Wi-Fi. like a drug that goes into your bloodstream. <laughs> okay. And the other is like something that can <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, that's true. All right, second question. This is one that's only for you. I can't answer this. It's just because I thought it would be an interesting question. Okay. Um, one thing people should know if they're running their Facebook ads themselves. Because you're a Facebook ad genius. Ooh. And I feel like it's something that a lot of us are trying to do. Don't want to outsource, but it's hard to know that you're actually doing it effectively. Yeah. Um, split test. Mm-hmm. Split test variables. So um, the biggest issue, the biggest, biggest mistake that people make is that they bundle all of the different variables, whether it be creative, audiences, everything in between, all into one big machine, <laughs> and and then they let it run, and they can never figure out uh, what is successful and what's not, and a lot of the time they go, and if you don't split test, you don't learn anything, whereas if mm-hmm. you if you create out loads of different audiences and loads of different creatives, um, you get to figure out what worked and what didn't. So like test different copy, test different targeting, exactly. test different like where you're going to put it and how like because then my assumption would be oh my gosh okay that means that I need a thousand pounds if I want to split test 10 different things. What's like the minimum you could spend to split test two things where you would get good enough results? Yeah so I mean I, I always suggest try and spend 20 pounds a day um, and I would probably do 10 audiences. Um, so 10 different audiences and what I mean by that is I don't mean you know just female just male this age group Uh, normally I mean interests so you know if you run a a dog walking company um, and you can split test you know golden retriever um, German Shepherd Mm -hmm. uh, Jack Russell um, you know dogsworld.com or all these different interests um, that Facebook have so what I would do is I would just spend uh, two pounds per interest per day for three oh, four days. I mean that's like nothing. It's nothing. I thought you were going to say like twenty pounds a day per interest for a week. No, like you only need like twenty pounds a day for two three days to learn from it, and then once you do that for two three days, you get to identify. Oh my god! Well, actually, this works. This doesn't work, and now you can scale what works. Mm-hmm. And that's worth it because then you're not all of your money is being optimized because you're doing the best that you can, right? Absolutely. And the, you know, the biggest issue you can have is to actually make sales from something that, from a machine that you've built where you just bundled everything together because you don't know where the sales are coming from. Mm. So split test one. Good. Out all the variables that you Thank have. you for that. And people can find you and ask you that on Facebook. 100%. Uh, all right, next quick five question. Would you rather have more time or more money? And what would you do with the extra? More time. I feel like that's a classic entrepreneur answer, right? Mm. Because there's the thing you say is like, ah, oh, time is money, like your time is your currency. Mm-hmm. But I just, do you know, I just think if you had, like, I feel like if I'm thinking long term, mm-hmm. I would say more time. Mm-hmm. I know that's a sensible option. I probably would think that. But I'm also like, so more money wouldn't be the worst thing. You know, like short term investments Big in time. terms of money. I mean, money is really easy to earn, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think Once that's why I would actually go for time because. You can't get that. Exactly. Like, I mean, I mean, the reason why is because you can figure out a system and a way to make money. Um, especially now with social media, it's really easy to make money um, by just funding people and selling to them and doing that at scale. Um, so making money is actually really easy. Um, but gaining more time. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's making money is really easy, guys. If you're not making money in your business. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but, but I get what you're saying. You have autonomy over the money that you make. You don't have autonomy over the time that you have. Absolutely. And actually in business. Like what we're talking about in today's episode, we have both made decisions on different scales where we have less money, but we have more time. Absolutely. Like that's what having a team is. Absolutely. So I retract the fact that I said I would pay more money because I definitely wouldn't. <laughs> All right, what would you do with the actual time? Like you're getting another day a week. What's the plan? 
Oh my god, I probably work. <laughs> I sometimes think, I don't know if you ever notice this, but if I'm really stretched that week, like I'm going away for the weekend, I can't mm. work when I'm away, I do manage to fit my work into less time. Yeah. I wonder if because we have seven days a week, it takes seven days a week. Yeah. And actually we're probably not always that efficient Big time. because the time is there. So I feel like if I gained another day a week, I'd need to be very intentional about what that day is for. Mm. Because otherwise I think I would just take a bit longer with everything and it would just blend in. Yeah, I mean, if we had an extra day a week that I could allocate, I would try allocate it to things that I enjoy because right now I'm just working all stuff. Yeah, you Um, do have It's really, it's it's actually unhealthy. So it's like, you know, know, people go on podcasts all the time. It's like, yeah, I do this and I do that. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Yeah, hustle and I'm really successful and just learn from me. But something that I struggle with personally right now is, is that my work-life balance just isn't right. Mm. Um, uh, so, but I am hustling, quote-unquote, even though I hate that word. Um, <laughs> uh, but at the moment, I think if I if I had an extra day a week, I would um, try and do something that I enjoy. Mm. I love that. I love that. Mm. All right, final question, which mm. I think is a good one for you. Mm-hmm. Um, a business buzzword. That everyone like jokes to hate, but you secretly love. Ooh. I'll give you mine so you can do some thinking. Okay. Mine is one that I genuinely have no problem with, but everyone else seems to hate, so I kind of always have to acknowledge when I say it mm-hmm. that I'm like, ah, using it in an ironic way. Yeah. Um, authentic. Ooh. I know it's been overused, and I know people just BS about it, but I'm genuinely like that. It's it's a good word. It's a very useful word when I need to when I need to use that word not afraid to use it, I think it's a good word. And I'm like, I'm going to reclaim authentic to mean authentic, not like Instagram BS authentic. But that's my secret favorite, secret favorite buzzword. I love it. What's yours? What is my favorite I feel like when you're hanging out with me, I just spend most of the time going, there were so many buzzwords in that sentence. Yeah, I know. But I think it's just in your language. I don't think you notice it. Yeah, big time. Not in a bad way, but you're just in a more corporate environment than I am maybe. Okay, Emily, edit this part out because I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder if I want Emily, okay. don't edit that out. Oh my gosh, Emily, edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> I will transfer you and undisclose a mountain monarch. Emily, we can start now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what would yours be? I would probably say optimization. <laughs> Even the way you say it, optimization. I would probably say optimization, yeah, because um, I used to be in search engine optimization, so it used to be my thing. Um, it just rolls off the tongue. You <laughs> just say it in your sleep, just yeah. like optimization. But it basically again, means make your business or make your life or make everything. Exactly. Make it life as efficient authentic. As it's a great word, yeah. but it's been overused to the point where Big now time. it's dead. Big time. Yeah. Reclaim optimization. Will do. I believe that for you. Amazing. <laughs> We're done. Amazing. Did you enjoy being on the I podcast? I loved it. Really, really loved yeah? it. Yeah? I always forget to say this, but people can get in touch because I like mm-hmm. a bit of mm-hmm. authentic engagement, you I know, <laughs> buzzword, buzzword. Um, so if people have any thoughts on today's topic of growing a team, being a co-founder, kind of scaling your business or anything else that we've talked about, because I think we've touched on about 27 different topics, uh, they can either get in touch via podcast to alicebenham.co.uk or they can just send me a message on Instagram and I'll leave all of your links in the show notes so people can find you. Thank you so Check much. out what you're doing. And that's it. We're done. Thank you. I loved it. Really awesome. <laughs> Thanks. It was a really great time. Thanks, Ellen. <laughs> Maybe your voice goes high when you lie. So be like, Thanks, yeah, I had a really good yeah, time. No, Thanks, I, my, my. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>